بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد وبارك عليه We are in Surah Al-Najm, Surah number 13. Surah Al-Najm is Surah 53. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى إِنَّ سِدْرَةِ الْمُنْتَهَى إِنَّهَا جَنَّةُ الْمَأْوَى إِذْ يَخْشَ السِدْرَةَ مَا يَخْشَ مَا زَاغَ الْبَصَرُ وَمَا طَغَى لَقَدْ رَآ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى Continuing the discussion on Surah Al-Najm and the description of Jibreel السلام, and how the Prophet وسلم, saw him once here on earth and we discussed those ayat of his attributes and qualities of being strong and powerful knowledgeable and trustworthy we then go into the Mi'raj story, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, he, meaning the Prophet, did see him at another lowering, nazla, another descending. That was at Mi'raj, as you know. So this ayah uh, specifically is about the story of the Mi'raj where the Prophet saw Jibreel again in his original form and it was there in the heavens as Allah says here in the Sidratil Muntaha in the most remote lot tree the final frontier Muntaha, where the angels now discontinue all travel from that point, Al Muntaha. And there's a load tree there. When you go up there above the seven heavens, you'll see a load tree. Uh, the load tree has uh, significances, all leaves and everything else that happens there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's original knowledge is uh, preserved there. So Jibreel is there, the Prophet is there, and they have this now face-to-face recognition where all the veils of Jibreel are removed, and the Prophet now through his travels in all heavens, so you have to remember the, the, the travel, that starts from Baytul Makhda, from Baytullah, the Kaaba, in the Masjid Haram, and throughout the travel towards Baytul Maqdis, and then from Baytul Maqdis all the way to the first heaven, the second heaven, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So now the Prophet is acquiring Nur 
and strength and knowledge as he's traveling. Okay? So uh, you have to understand the background to the whole story. So every step the Prophet is increasing in knowledge, in his, in his uh, observance, in his seeing, in his hearing, in his uh, experience, and the overall power that he is now, uh, you know, procuring, acquiring, is now taking him further. Because you need a lot of power to travel upwards. You can't go up there if you don't have power, even if you want to, you know, fly a small plane. You need some energy, and if you want to now traverse the, uh, you know, the atmosphere through the earth and go further, you need more power. You know, you need rocket power. And if you want to go into space, you need more power, more energy. So this is all done through uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl, through Jibreel, through the Burak, and so on. So he's gaining nur, he's gaining knowledge, he's gaining power. All types of powers, physical, uh, intellectual, spiritual. So now it comes to a climax. The climax where he is now able to see Jibreel with 600 wings through his own eyes, not through the heart, not through the subconscious, not in the state of a dream. It is physical. So you have to accommodate all of those kind of realities with you as you see that he's seeing him a second time. So it's not just the second time. It is what he brings with him as he's seeing. Uh, and he's seeing him with his naked eyes. And he's seeing the whole wingspan, all of them, 600 of them, with his naked eyes, which requires immense power and immense uh, spirituality, ruhaniya. And it comes with a lot of knowledge which is beyond us. And then Jibreel comes to a climax. And that is where uh, the Prophet sees him in the Sidratul Muntaha, that point in the station where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is nur, is there is another tajalli there, another manifestation of whatever there is. So we don't know. Only Allah knows, only the Prophet knows. And so, so when you get to that point of purity, of clarity, of knowledge and nur, then invariably you're going to be in Jannah. In the Jannatil Ma'wa. You see the sequence? The sequence is not that uh, Allah shows. No, there's a process, uh, a protocol, if you like, and there is progression. Progression in knowledge, progression in nur, progression in physical abilities and capabilities. Now, this all happens outside of uh, time. So it's outside of time. So there's nothing there except existence. And that is how we should see these ayat, that these ayat are reflective of Allah's abilities to show a human being what Allah wants him to see. Linuriyahu. Uh, uh, I was here also. Uh, these are the, the, the highest signs, the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His uh, dominion, his kingdom, his sovereignty, his power, his nidham, his system, the network of angels, where there is no space in space, where there is no angel, either standing 
or in ruku or in sajda or making tasbih and tahmid and tahleel and so on so when you observe all of this great sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it obviously has an immense impact on you and in you so that when you reach that level of purity then you have to be in Jannah there's no other place you can exist except in Jannah with that amount of nur in the Sidratul Muntaha in the Jannatul Ma'wa where the Jannatul Ma'wa the Jannah of refuge is there now you seek refuge from everything else that Allah has created in the form of evil and in the form of devils and in the form of shayateen and jinn and now you're in a place where there is pure refuge where there is no uh, harm no evil nothing whatsoever is just pure divine love and divine kind of fadl and rahman and so on jannatul ma'wa meaning there are other forms of jannah other levels of jannah as the, the Quran explains, several other forms Jannatu Adnan, Jannatu Khuld, Jannatu Firdaus, and other types of Jannat. This is one type of Jannah, it's called Jannatul Ma'wa, where you know, you're in absolute refuge and you're under the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where the devil now can no longer touch you, he cannot penetrate into wahi and he cannot deceive you and then when you speak you will not speak from your whim you will speak only from the place of ma'wa of refuge so you will not commit a sin nor will you talk sin nor will you talk evil nor will you make a mistake when you talk in as Jibreel is now someone who only speaks through wahi likewise through the Miraj, Allah has transformed Muhammad a human being. One is that Jibreel's Malaki, spiritual and angelic ability is the way Allah has created him, which is obviously a huge ni'mah, a huge sight. And the other is to transform a human being to that level of spirituality and purity and to that level of being able to receive knowledge first from Jibreel and second from Allah himself right yeah. so the Miraj story is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving knowledge to the Prophet first the total knowledge of Jibreel that all of Jibreel's knowledge and abilities and the potential was now in Muhammad and number two now the Prophet has the ability through Allah's creation to speak to Allah Himself directly. So this is that what we say here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. So when the Sidra, okay, when the leaves of the Sidra and the lotus tree covered whatever it covered, referring to the knowledge. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then imparted to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and so on. Yeah. The eyesight did not travel and waver. It was not deceived in any way, shape or form because obviously on the way. When you're going to a 
royal palace. And then on the way, I'm sure it's not just that the palace is there and there are no, you know, side attractions. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of side attractions here. So now you're going to have the boulevards, you're going to have the avenues, you're going to have the fountains, uh, you're going to have all the kind of horses and everything else, and the escorts and the valets and everybody else. You're going to have the food, you can have the entertainment on the side in the courtyard before you get to the palace. So here the Quran is referring to the Himma of the Prophet that the Prophet Himma and pure focus and determination is that he's not even considering looking at the side attractions where we will be obviously invariably if you ever get there they're caught up in the one side attraction and that's it finish yeah. we'll look at the tree and then we'll be stuck in the tree for 40 years oh wow look at this so here Allah says the determination of the Prophet was so powerful, like Jibreel's determination is so powerful that he's on a mission. He doesn't waver, he doesn't falter in what he sees, and he is not distracted by anything else that others might be distracted with. So now here we see that the, the, the hymn of the Prophet is like his hymn in Salat that when he's in Salat, he is not distracted by anyone, by anything. He's in a totally different zone altogether. So that uh, Sifa, okay, that um, quality there in Miraj came down to earth in every Salat of the Prophet Aisha says when the Prophet was with us, he would be with us and he would be a very normal human being. He would talk to us and he, he would say things and he would do things, etc. As soon as the Adhan was gone, then that was it. He was in a different zone. It was as if he did not know who, you, who we were. A total transference from one zone to another zone where you're now totally focused, dedicated on the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the meaning of Ihsan and Ta'budullah. That you worship Allah as if you've seen Him. When you've seen Him, you can't be seeing anything else because that is shirk. Shirk in ibadah is what unfortunately everybody does. So he's totally focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that training in uh, Miraj came down to earth, and the Prophet kept that level of concentration. Uh, wherever he was in Salat, wherever, whenever he was in any form of Ibadah, he would be totally focused on the Maqsad, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to remember this is in Mecca. This story happens in Mecca, not in Medina. So he's going to carry all of this nur, all of this knowledge into Medina. That's why the uh, Mi'raj is a prelude to the Hijrah chronologically and strategically both yeah? and that's how allah plans and how allah organizes the events of the seerah with hikmah and with basira and so, so we must also appreciate you know the timeline the timeline is very critical for muslims to understand why this time and why this place and so on but anyway so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now calls the prophet to have a dialogue with him uh, and that is what happens. Yeah. 
Indeed, he definitely did see the greatest signs of his Lord, of his Rabb, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still the Rabb there, even in Jannah and after Jannah, when he is now talking to the Prophet he's still his Rabb, he's making tarbiyah of the Prophet when uh, the Prophet like all other human beings, is constantly being raised and trained and developed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's also a lesson uh, from everybody, even if you uh, got to the level of uh, Miraj, Allah is still your Lord. He's still teaching you. So you have to maintain that adab. Oh, I made it here. No, you haven't made it here. <laughs> you, Allah has brought you here to train you and develop you further. And because there's no end, there's no stopping. So anyway, so basically the uh, idea here in Surah Al-Najm is basically to, to, to help us understand how Allah raises the Prophet ﷺ by giving him exceptional knowledge. This is about knowledge. You know? uh, this is about seeing, witnessing, observing the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his power, his might, his knowledge and his superiority and his uh, you know, uh, abilities and so on. All of this now comes down to now one thing. And what is that? Allah says, okay, you're here. Yeah. You're not going to stay here. You have to leave. You can't stay here. I don't accommodate anybody. That'll be shirk. So I won't even accommodate you. And just go back to where you came from. <laughs> What's he going back to? He's going back to the shirk of the Quraysh. I talk about the high and low. You understand? So this obviously is a spectacular spiritual high, which cannot be matched by any human being. It's never been done. There's no parallel to this uh, incident and the story of the Miraj where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored a human being in flesh and bone and give, gave him access to superior knowledge and then lets him experience all the experiences of Jannah, sees all the angels, sees all the prophets, salam, and sees all the magnificent, you know, majizat of the heavens and the earth. And then all of a sudden, okay, get back to work. Right? So Allah pulls him down from a spiritual high right down here, back to shirk. Yeah. Talk about mood swings. <laughs> We couldn't handle it. That's why, you know, alhamdulillah, we're not ambiya. We can't handle this level of knowledge and this level of power, this level of responsibility, and so on. So the next moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do you actually look at and see what it is you're worshipping these idols? So from pure tawheed, Allah sends it back, sends him back to shirk. Is going to handle this, deal with this shirk. We've given you all the knowledge. Now go back to the world and do your job, basically. So there's no, what, what do you call it, um, bragging rights there. 
uh, you can't enjoy a moment, there's no glory there, yeah, go back and do the work. Your people in Makkah, they're worshipping false idols. You have come here, we've honored you with this superior knowledge and this nur and everything else. Now with this knowledge and nur, fight everything that is false. Go down and fight falsehood. Stand up for Allah, stand up for Tawheed, and do the work you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, that's Quran making the Prophet awesome. again coming down back to earth, literally, so that he can negotiate and navigate and you know deal and, and debate with these people who do not worship one Allah, they worship many others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And going back, as I said, to, to the grind where you need that level of dedication. So just as when you were coming here, you were focused. On me, likewise, when you go back down there, focus on your mission. Don't be distracted by what happens on the periphery, uh, what happens in society and in the community, and so on. Go back and tell people, this is what you saw, and then tell them that based on what I know now, with all the obvious signs and proofs that I am indeed a Nabi and a Rasul, the proof is evident in front of you. It is now more obvious than the sun. Now, because of this, I'm now going to tell you again that the idols you worship, Lat and Uzza and Manat, they are false idols, uh, which obviously was driving, uh, what do you call it, the, the Makkans and the, the Quraysh and establishing their economy, establishing their culture, establishing their rule, uh, etc. So now he went again. And after this incident, and then really uh, you laid down uh, the rules of engagement and that this is all false. And I don't care how much power authority you have. I have now power authority because I have seen the nur and so on. That is the, uh, uh, the Quraysh idol, the Quraysh idol and uh, uh, what do you call it, an Uzza is the idol of the people of Taif. And Manat was the idol of the people of Abu Hilal. Yeah. So the, these are three idols that were very prominent in the, you know, the, uh, the Jazeera, the peninsula. And they would honor them and they would dedicate buildings in honor of these false gods. And they would go there, congregate and do what they do in places of worship and so on. So now the, the Prophet came and informed people of this now incident. And this story, and then he came back down. He said, "Okay, never mind all that. What you're doing is wrong. So I'm not going to take a you know a lap of honor and say I've been there, done that. I'm just going to tell you the plain truth, which is easier said than done. It is not easy to just to uh, override uh, such an experience and then do the nitty gritty, uh, get your hands dirty, work in the trenches." It needs resolve, it needs uh, determination, it needs himma. So this is another proof that the Prophet ﷺ is a Nabi, because if he was not a Nabi, he would have bragged about this for another 10 years until he died. But he didn't do so. He, he went back to what he is supposed to do, and that is to give da'wah, and that is to bring people closer to Allah's rahmah, and bring people closer to Jannah. And that is now the message we see in Surah Al-Najm that the Prophet superior knowledge gave him superior uh, qualities. 
of uh, patience, resolve, resilience, tolerance, and determination. Uh, it made him much stronger. And that is now the point of all of Islam, that the Islamic activities and the amal, salat, salam, zakat, and hajj, that all the dhikr, tasbih that you do and all the knowledge that you have is supposed to make you a much better, much more perfect human being. If that knowledge doesn't transform you internally in terms of your behavior, then that's something lacking there, something lacking in you, not the knowledge. I mean, you have not allowed the knowledge to seep through you. You have not allowed the knowledge to take effect on you and through you. So this is now the lesson for everybody. But yes, Mirage is a spectacular event. It is perhaps one of the most important, if not the most important uh, story for human beings uh, in general. Where a human being now leaves this world, goes and meets Allah, then comes back and uh, becomes still again reinforced uh, in his uh, dedication to reform the world. And that shows you the level of compassion of the Prophet. Yeah. So that's how we see the fall of Allah and the Prophet transforming him to a much higher level of perfection. He was already perfect, yeah, as Nabuwa will testify. He was already the perfect role model before Nabuwa. After Nabuwa, then he just raised all the standards of human perfection. And then with Miraj, it was now obviously the cream icing on the cake. Yeah. This is now the ultimate dedication of a Rasul who knows Allah, who sees Allah, who now receives knowledge directly from Allah. That what's he doing? He's engaging with common people. I need to reform these people. And uh, there was no discrimination there. It wasn't that he only uh, talked to those who were uh, in power, those who had status and those who had money and influence. He spoke to everybody. And then he, he called everybody towards Jannah. And that is his now maqam. And then, so now he's addressing the Quraysh and the, the pagan Arabs as to how they must now uh, not abuse their power and how may they, they must evaluate what they believe in through proof mm. sometimes through simple proof by simple deduction and and sometimes through other means of proof like their own experience uh, their dreams and sometimes by looking and seeing and listening to the prophet وسلم, so this is now a discussion on that line where the Prophet is debating uh, you know, some of the conclusions and the deductions of the pagan Arabs and so on. One of the false beliefs that they had was that they believed that the angels are the daughters of Allah uh, and they frowned from having daughters themselves. Oh, so this is what the Quran says that uh, do the male offspring belong to you and do the female belong to Allah how can you do this so you're okay to appropriate that which you detest for yourselves to Allah and uh, you are willing to just exclusively 
take possession of everything else that you love for yourself. You know, meaning this is a very wayward and very unjust determination. Qisma. Tilka idan qismatun dhiza. These are from the word those, which means unjust, unfair. That this is the unfair distribution of spirituality, of you know, godness, unfair distribution of power and divinity, and so on. So you frown when there's a mention of a girl in your household, but you say, well, God can have the daughters. We'll keep the sons and God can have the daughters. So obviously, it's kind of ridiculous, uh, stupid. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now in addressing the Prophet sallallahu So you must tell them that this is a false deduction. Uh, you have no intelligence. And because you have no intelligence, you are making this mistake. There's a theological mistake and this mistake in distribution. And you're supposed to be you know, businessmen in, in commerce. Uh, you're supposed to be fair and you're supposed to be, you know, understanding how to do the math. So it's wrong from so many ways, in so many directions, it's just simply wrong. Okay. Which was a big thing for the Quraysh because they valued themselves as very intelligent, smart, sophisticated businessmen and leaders and so on. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bringing down to earth the idea that shirk is not a good distribution. Partnership and shirk and so on. It is, it is now absurd distribution. Your math is totally wrong. Uh, when you can't even do the math properly, how are you going to rule a few people and govern a piece of land? And, and so on, meaning that you're not capable of leadership and you should repent and come back to the natural order of Tawheed. So they would have names, as you know, they have plenty of idols in, in and around the Kaaba, 360 of them, to be exact, and it was like one for each day of the year, almost. Um, but then the, 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 the issue, the bigger issue is how did they come to terms in the first place with the idea of idols? So here Allah subhanahu brings down Another reality, the reality is conventions. So the human beings, they invent conventions. And once somebody goes with a convention, uh, fixes a convention, and then that's the end of it. You know? yeah, so these conventions are subjective at best. And so on. So now somebody says that <coughs> we'll measure this table according to inches. Another one says, no, we'll measure this table, this side of the table, according to centimeters. So you're going to use that convention of inches, and somebody else uses this convention of centimeters. They're both conventions. But they're both man-made conventions. They're not determined by wahi or any higher source of authority and so on. So when you're going to establish conventions, then you have to separate between what is what are true conventions that are real and absolute and what are false conventions and uh, sometimes those false conventions maybe are speculative okay they're not real they're, they're functional right yeah so you must now separate in your minds what constitutes as a proof as uh, the lead the which is conclusive and what's uh, what constitutes as speculation that's what's behind this eye in here, illa asma'un sammaytumuha antum wa abaukum ma anzalallahu 
بهام سلطان إن يتبعون إلا الظن so you see that these are just names and terms and conventions that you yourselves have named and coined and appropriated سميتموها all of the above you and your forefathers. So your forefathers came and said that there is now divine assistance in this God, in this idol. That's, you've named that idol based on that appropriation. But the appropriation in the first place is speculative, it's not real. It is false, it is batil. There is no authority that Allah gave at that time when you were naming these idols and this is now the idol of fertility, this is the idol of strength, this is the idol of foresight and intellect, and this is the idol of now, what you call it, travel, etc., etc. And when you named these idols, there was no divine authority given to you, or those who named the idols, what they named them, in order to substantiate your claim. So that, that, that is something that he must realize that only only Allah has the ability to determine his own names, right, and his own attributes. You can't do that. You don't know Allah the way Allah knows Allah. So this is all false, and this is all speculation. So you must now, first of all, find a sultan. Sultans mean an overpowering authority and power. The sultan is a very strong word, very, very strong word. Sultan, obviously the ruler of the Muslim Ummah and so on. So he has power, he has authority, power and authority, and at the same time, authenticity also. Yeah. Yeah. So the Sultan, also one of Aziz and the, the, the Sultan, the Du Sultan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now the wilaya, if you want to call it that, the overarching, overwhelming authority and authenticity to do what he does, the way he does what he does, without any influence from any of the people. Now these are names that you have idols, saying then these deities, and now they are receptacles of Allah's powers on earth, and if we worship these receptacles, we will gain that type of power from the other side also. So they, they, they saw the idols as this, and then they, they started worshipping them. So here we see that Allah Subhanahu is, is now paving the way for Muslims, especially Muslim scholars, uh, to understand that in, in order for you to justify anything based on proof, the proof itself has to be authentic in the first place. It can't be based on false assumptions. The parameters and the premises of the discussion and all the postulations must be in order. Nothing could be false in the process. The process has to be also with integrity. Just as Jibreel delivers knowledge with integrity, and the Prophet delivers knowledge with integrity and authority, likewise, you should deliver knowledge with integrity and authority. Integrity means that you should not be making a mistake in your presentation and just assume that you are on the haq because the Quran says so. No. It has to be verified. There has to be checks and balances, and people must argue, and people must now understand that this is wrong. Does it withstand the um, you know the test of a critical review? Right. Yeah. So that's why the ulama of Islam, from the Sahaba and the Tabi'in, and later on the ulama of Kalam and the 
ulama who now spread knowledge, they made sure that their arguments were foolproof. Yeah, their postulations were all you know absolute and correct. They, 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 there could be no doubt in what it is you're saying, neither in the beginning nor in the end. And the Quran says, The battle doesn't enter the Quran, neither from the front nor the, at the end. This is foolproof. Um, that's what we mean by ilm and ilm, as the theme of the surah is knowledge. Jibreel's knowledge, the Prophet Sallallahu knowledge, and now those who follow the Prophet Sallallahu have to follow the same method of evaluation. They must be open to critique and open to evaluation. And that's what we were and we still are, open to evaluation, open to critique, and so on. So here, you see that Dara Qasim, we teach all of these good things. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that the, the mu- mu- Muslims saw this in here, Illa Asma'un Sammaytumuha, as a prototype for establishing That's why we opened up the floodgates of rational understanding and uh, debate, and, and then later on, kalam and uh, discourse and discursive theology, and so on. So, so that uh, if people wanted to evaluate us, they're welcome to do so, and we will not shy away from a fight if that's the case. But this is all about conventions, all about naming things. How do you name things? So you can't name anything simply because you feel there's something there. So you can't invent something that does not exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since there's no power in these stones and idols and statues that you yourselves have manufactured and carved out, you can't simply assume that because we've named this this, it must have this effect. That's not right. The effect and the, you know, the quality, the stiffer must be there in the first place before you can name it. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the names first, how to name things and how to name realities. So anyway, so this, this level of discussion now, when you're saying this to the Quraysh, you'll be saying whether well, they didn't know Kalam to understand. So they, they didn't need to, they understood from the language. The, the Quraysh, when they heard this, they understood just from the language, just from the words, what the Quran is saying. That we actually don't have any sultan, any power, any authority to determine that this statue has this power. You can't do that. Well, when Allah says, when we say as a convention, water is wet. We don't determine the wetness. It is wet because Allah made it wet. And after observing and feeling that the water is wet, we may claim that water is wet. But where does the wetness come from in the first place? So where does the idol receive the power that you assume in the first place? Allah didn't say so. And you're still attributing the power of the idol back to Allah. So if Allah gave you permission to say, yeah, so this idol has this effect, then you can name the idol. But there was no such claim that you are making even here. So anyway, the more you go into it, the more you'll see how this ayah is supreme and superb in understanding that uh, some conventions are functional and you can 
live with that. We're not going to make life difficult for you, impossible that you can't name things the way you want to name them. Uh, this is what, what you call, uh, you know, the, the, the innovations that we have, like the, uh, you know, the IT things and all the equipment and the computer, the things and the, the gadgets we have now, what's it, the mouse. Uh, everybody knows what a mouse is, right? Now, we don't know what a mouse is. The one in Tom and Jerry, you know, this mouse on the computer, because it's become a convention. Language has changed. Yeah, now, okay. Why do you call it a mouse? Who cares why you call it a mouse? It's just a functional thing. You're not going to worship the mouse, I hope. So likewise, there are things in the world that are just for function, just for life, to facilitate life. You don't need to be that, what, what, what do you call it, super intellectual about everything in life, because life becomes impossible. But there are certain realities that have to be seen as an, a reality. And if you don't, if, if, if there's no proof that that reality actually exists, then obviously you're, you're, you're speculating, which is what the Quran says. That you're merely speculating, you're assuming, and you're making false claims, and you're following that which your nafs is now desiring. Because you want to worship the idol, you assume there is power in the idol. That's your nafs. That's not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, so that's how uh, we must see how the Muslim ummah developed this ayah and took it to almost his last frontier, uh, inshallah. Indeed, hidayah. And guidance has come from their Lord. Even here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still the Lord of the Quraysh and He's still guiding them through these um, proofs and through this dialogue that He must uh, simply uh, acquiesce to the reality that Allah is the Lord, Allah is the creator at the macro level and also at the micro level. You can claim what, whatever it is you want to claim, but there has to be proof to the claim. If you don't have proof to the claim, then the claim is useless, it is futile, and it is baseless. And that's how the Prophet now is now. And bringing the Quraysh back to the reality of Tawheed, that Tawheed is the most important commodity uh, on this planet and every other uh, planet that exists out there. And we must see Tawheed as Allah's ni'mah. And Tawheed will always bring proof, it will always bring intellectual correctness which is also one of the highest forms of guidance. Is it that man now receives everything he desires? Do we get what we want all the time? The answer, unfortunately, quite miserably, is no, we never get what we want. Nothing that we want in life happens for us because we're not God. Ali radiallahu said, I've understood Allah by knowing that I never get what I want. Oh, I, yeah. Every time I want something, Allah breaks it. <laughs> That's the proof that Allah is Allah. That he's in control. Yeah, I never get what I want. And that's the point of abdiyah. Abdiyah means you're a servant of Allah. You don't always get what you want. You get what Allah gives you. And when Allah gives you, you must be happy with Allah's appropriation, Allah's khismah, 
Allah's distribution, okay? Allah, you gave me this today, alhamdulillah. Right? You can't sit there and whine about what didn't happen, what should have happened, what must have happened, and so on. So you just now take it. And you will feel the pain, obviously, but that's part of the test. Yeah. Yeah. Allah alone belongs in the akhirah. The end and also the beginning, the ula. Allah alone controls, uh, you know, the preliminary kind of steps towards an event. Allah controls the effects and the after effects of the incident and of the story. And so, so Allah is in control. This is which now brings about abdiyah, a sense of selflessness, a sense of need, and iftiqar in Allah that I'm in total need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times, and that is the point of being a servant, that I'm, I'm relying all of my abilities on Allah's fadl and Allah's acceptance and so on. So one is on this side that you have Tawheed, and Tawheed should lead you to Jannatul Ma'wa where there's a place of refuge. So Tawheed gives you refuge, gives you security. It gives you a calmness. It gives you a sense of satisfaction and contentment. If you're not there, then you're in dhun. Then you're in speculation. You're speculating. You're angry. Okay? You're in anguish and you're frustrated and you're always doing things to compensate for your frustration and for your anger and your anxiety. Then you become depressed and then you become despondent. That's not Jannatul Ma'wa. Jannatul Ma'wa is that you have a place of refuge, and that is Tawheed, where Tawheed gives you the greatest security. Allah is there. Hasbi Allah. Allah is enough. Once you've made that commitment in your mind, then you will negotiate, navigate the problem in front of you with ease. When you say you believe in Allah, and Allah is enough, it doesn't mean that you won't have problems. Right? After the Prophet is saying this to the Quraysh, after Miraj experience, okay, what happens to him? He wasn't given any comfort the next two years. Okay, they wanted to assassinate him and they drove him away from Makkah. So he had more problems. One would assume that when you're honored by Allah and Allah brings you to him and shows you all his uh, fantastic, majestic signs, that he would help the Prophet on earth. For the next two years, there was no help. Right? So you can't take Allah for granted. He does what he does. You do what you need to do to please him, and so on. Right? So then Allah eventually gave him refuge in uh, Medina. But that came later, another two years, he had to be patient and show his resolve and show his determination. So there's no guarantee that Allah will always do. Is it that man gets everything he desires? Even the prophets don't get what they desire. So likewise, us, we don't get what we desire, but at least we have the ability to uh, negotiate and navigate the problems with Tawheed, that Allah is there, Allah is watching, and so on. Because the ultimate goal is to get into the physical place called Jannah. And that's there after you die, inshallah, on the day of judgment. فَلِلَّهِ الْآخِرَةُ وَالْأُولَىٰ وَكَمْ مِنْ مَلَكٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ 
intercession that if we use these idols to intercede okay then will that work for you again the Quraysh is feeling the heat from its people this is not in a vacuum it's not an abstract so as the Quraysh see the spirit of the believers is growing day by day and they're not moved by their persecution they're not moved by their antagonism they're growing stronger and stronger in resolve in determination and they're going to be much more stronger as the word now moves towards the other tribes so they're apprehensive the Quraysh at this point they're very apprehensive you have to realize this in in terms of the seerah they are afraid they're afraid that Muhammad's power is going to overrun them and they will no longer have power so internally in their minds they they, they want to compromise okay? they want to come this is what happened in this surah as in one of the hadith of this surah the prophet and now this surah was the first surah allah informed the prophet that he must recite this whole surah to the Quraysh. as he was there with the believers in the kaaba some riwayat would say that when the ayah of the sajda was recited which is at the end of the surah this is sajda at the end of the surah when he went into sajda the audience who were non-muslim they also went into sajda right? they also went into sajda to show the effect of the prophet as a nur and so on but anyway so now they need a compromise so they, they always wanted the Prophet to tone down his message, okay, and not to abuse their idols and not to say people will burn in hell. Not only will you burn in hell, your idols with you will also burn in hell. So they wanted the Prophet to compromise, as you know, throughout the uh, 13 years of Nabuwa in, in Makkah. So this here also is another attempt to compromise. Where they said, okay, we, we know you believe in intercession, you believe in Shafa. Okay. If we say that uh, through the intercession uh, of these idols, we may get somewhere. So that's another contention. So this I came to refute to that also. I said, no, we're not compromising on anything. There's no pluralism peru here. Okay. There's no accommodation with any other religion except Islamism. So here Allah says that we're not interested in the idea, the false idea, that these idols will intercede and they have shafar. So Allah says, never mind them, even those who live in the heavens, the angels, they don't have the power, authority to intercede. And they're real beings. Yeah. Angels are real beings. They're spiritual, they're powerful, they're organized, and they do things that human beings can't even think of even they don't have the ability to intercede so we're not even considering the idols if they have any ability to intercede so there's no shifa there there's no shifa there okay, that's what this ayah uh, is saying uh, that there are so many angels in the heavens and the heavens is filled with angels and in, in platoons in formats in organizations in systems in errands and networking in each heaven 
and so just millions and millions of them they are there but they're all organized they're not haphazard and so they don't have the ability okay the shafa'a, their intercession avails nothing they benefit no one and they benefit uh, they don't help in you know dislodging or changing the hukum and the tadbir of allah subhanahu wa and the system of allah subhanahu wa arrangement in, in in the heavens they do exactly what they are instructed to do except perhaps when allah subhanahu wa gives permission to somebody and then he is happy with their shafa'a, with their intercession meaning there is a remote possibility that allah might afford some angel or some nabi uh, a role in intercession but that is only after allah is pleased with them and that takes a lifelong of struggle it doesn't come automatically it comes after you know generations and decades and centuries and millenniums of uh, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pleasing him making no mistake whatsoever then maybe there's a remote possibility that this might happen I mean, there is a possibility of shafa'a theologically as we all know and uh, we all hope for the shafa'a the prophet inshallah but it's only after a while and only after allah has already uh, given them permission and then allah has passed down the permission to them authentically then perhaps there but you can't rely on that as you will see later on in the surah that no one bears the burden of anyone else's pain and sin so that, that's a universal fact this eye is there to appease perhaps some of the people who are reading this ayah amongst Muslims. But as far as the idols interceding, first of all, they're, they're, they're kind of mute, they're, they're made of stone, they don't walk, they don't talk, they don't eat, they don't sleep, they're just there. And so they have no power whatsoever. There's nothing instinctive about the abilities of the idols. And even if you were to make qiyas on the angels, or draw an analogy from there to here, or from here to there, uh, then that will be a false analogy also, because they don't have any instinctive ability to seek shafa'a intercession. In fact, they don't even desire that they want to intercede, meaning the angels, because they have no volition. Whereas the prophets, they will have a desire to seek intercession for those who need intercession and so on but because they don't believe in prophets the prophets are not mentioned here they did believe in angels as it is very apparent and clear uh, from the quran and so on so this is how we see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bringing down knowledge through jibrail uh, once here uh, uh, on earth and a second time in the heavens on the, in the story of Miraj, and then thirdly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's own personal dialogue, uh, conversation with the Prophet after which he came back down to earth and then continued the mission. He didn't change his strategy. I have now more knowledge than before, so I'm going to change my strategy and see what I can do. I've seen Jannah, I've seen Jahannam, I know how Allah works, and I know how things work, so maybe I should try some intercession. That's all ruled out. You don't change your mission, you don't change your objective, you remain focused.
which shows the resolve and the determination of the Prophet So with this knowledge, your ability to be more focused grows. You should not concede and become less than what you were before. When the Sahaba, 10 Sahaba, who received news that they have been promised Jannah, uh, the Mubashara, they did not stop their ibadah. They increased it. Yeah, so that's the point. When you have knowledge, you're supposed to increase your iman, increase your Islam, increase your service and servitude, your abdiya. Uh, you should not wane. I've made it. I have a plaque from Allah, and I can do a lap of honor, and I can get an award, and this and that. No, the award is your further tawfiq to please Allah. That's your award, and that is also your reward. And that people of Allah, when Allah gives them something, they increase their ibadah because of shukr. They don't decrease their ibadah by being vain and being kind of snobbish and arrogant about the whole thing. So the Surah Najm, as the Najm falls, when it falls, this is falling, but it maintains its orbit, it maintains its equilibrium, and it maintains its service, dedication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how the Nabi is, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah gives tawfiq to recite the Quran to understand it. And also to implement it. I mean, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi Muhammad wa alayhi wa sahabihi wa sallam. Bi rahmatika ya Rabbul